our lives. Uh, um, listen, it just takes one touch. <clears throat> it takes one touch. It takes one word. It takes it takes one second. It takes it only takes it only takes one thing that God can do that can change our lives forever. Amen. And so, so we have been looking at, um, you know, what that but God year looks like. We've been looking at different aspects of that and how it looks. So the last few weeks, probably the last three or four weeks, we've been taking kind of like subjects and, and looking at it about how, um, you know, grace works. Like the last two weeks, we've been looking at grace. This last week and this week, we've been looking at grace and what grace is and how when you understand, when you understand what grace is and how grace operates in your lives, it'll be one of the biggest but God moments in your life. You know, um, I was I was this morning in prayer, in pre-service prayer, one of the things that came out in pre-service prayer was that the Lord said this. He said that he I kept I kept praying out these two words uh, as I was praying and I kept the Lord kept just saying, see clearly. See clearly. And, you know, and, and one of the things that you'll, that, that we all know this is that, you know, if you are taught something, if you're taught something wrong, then you'll never see it the right way until you're retaught or, or until you realize that you were taught wrong. I'll give you one example. This is a, a personal example, but, but I think this bears, uh, this bears the point. We, we moved, Stacey and I, uh, moved and we started at a position in a church. And when we started there, one of the one of the pastors on staff told us they you know they were we didn't know anybody in the church and uh, and they told us they said they started giving us names of people they said now watch out for this person or this person is like this or this person has this wrong with them and this person this and this person's that and what happened was as I met those people I had a I had I already had a preconceived idea of what they were like. And I came to find out that the, almost every one of those things that, that somebody had told me about these people, about different people, three or four different people, to me, I didn't see it at all. But when I, when I first went into that relationship, when I first met that person, and when I first started talking to that person, and, and I automatically put a shield up, and I automatically put a wall up thinking, oh, well, this person's dangerous, this person, this person's like this, this person's like that, I gotta be careful. You know, because because this because they said this or whatever, you know, and and but I come to find out that 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 was really not a true statement. And because of that, I had because of that, I had to uh, what's the word? I had to kind of back up and realize that that my relationship with that person could be different if I saw them the way God saw them. And unfortunately, so many times in our lives, that happens with spiritual things. Because of the type of church we go to, um, you know, whether it's a denominational church or whether it's a even charismatic church, I mean, it could be any type of church, we will find that, that certain subjects are taught certain ways. And, and different people believe different things. You can have the same Scripture... And you could have four or five groups believe something totally different about that Scripture. Right? So the way you are taught something uh, goes a long way in how you're going to receive in that, in that area. Right? So, so you know, the, my prayer this morning, and my prayer as I studied this, and even as the Lord reminded me of that this morning, my prayer is this, is that we see this, because I want to talk about a subject this morning that, 
that probably all of us have heard teaching on, and all of us probably, to be honest with you, uh, we probably all still have a little bit of area to grow in this and to understand exactly what God, um, the way God would have us to see this. So my prayer is that we see this the way this morning, the way God wants us to see this. And, you know, in last week we started talking about grace. And, you know, grace is, is a kind of like a buzzword now in, in, in churches. And everybody talks about grace and everybody talks about, uh, you know, there's the whole... People even say there's grace movement. People say that there's, you know, uh, people have gone in the ditch in teaching on grace in some areas because, because some people even say now that we have grace, you know, you don't even have to worry about uh, living holy or you can live any way you want to live and it doesn't matter because God's grace covers you. I mean, I've had people tell me that. And, you know, it's just amazing what people do with, with the Word when a little bit of freedom is given to them. But I want us to look this morning at the title that I, I gave this, if you, if you want to put a title on your notes, is The Ability to Live Holy. The Ability to Live Holy. Now, holy is one of those words that's kind of like a, uh, when you talk about living holy, a lot of people are like, oh, hold up, hold up. You know, I, you know, you're going to get into legalistic things and you're going to give me a list of things to do. But that's not what living holy is about. Actually, what I want you to see this morning is this is that grace gives us the ability to live a holy life. Grace does not give us the ability to live any way we want to live and do anything we want to do and think that God's okay with it. Amen. Now listen, we read this scripture yes or last week, but I want to I want to start off there. We finished last week with the scripture in Hebrews chapter 4 verses 15 and 16. Because I think this is, a, this is an important scripture for us to understand. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16 says this, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but he was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Now, I want you to notice a couple of things because we're talking about the subject of grace. Notice here he says that, first of all, that this is a throne of grace. Now, if you remember last week, what my definition was, what I gave you the definition of what grace... Because uh, uh, a lot of times we... we uh, the, I guess the, the, script, or the definition that most people put about grace is just unmerited favor. We, we hear that scripture or that definition of grace a lot. And that is true. Grace is unmerited favor. But grace is so much more than just unmerited favor. Because a lot of times we hear that and we, don't, we think, well, what, what does that really mean? I mean, you know, I know I don't deserve it, but, you know, is grace just something I don't deserve and, and I just get favor because of that? Or, you know, what is, but the, uh, probably a better definition of grace and one that will help you understand what grace is and how it operates in our lives the one, the one word definition could be this. Grace is God's ability. That's a two word definition. Isn't it? Grace is God's ability. And, and here is what grace will do. The long definition of it, you could say it like this. Grace is God's ability working on the inside of me, allowing me to do something that I couldn't do in my own strength. Did you get that? Grace is God's ability 
working on the inside of me, allowing me or enabling me to do something I couldn't do in my own ability or my own strength. Now, last week we went through, I think it was Romans chapter 8, and we showed, we, we contrasted the difference between looking at uh, my ability versus God's ability. And how that when we do it in our ability, the Bible actually says that it's impossible to please God without, it's impossible to please God in the flesh or in our own ability. If you tried to keep the law, you would fail miserably. Because the law was never meant to be kept 100%. Because God knew that the law could not be kept. The law was a, was a schoolmaster, if you want to use that word, or a teacher showing us that you and I need a Savior because we are not good enough, strong enough, we're not able to keep the law perfectly. Therefore, the answer to that is that we need somebody, we need a help, we need help, we need a Savior to be able to save us from, from the inability to keep the law. That's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus didn't say, he, when He came, Jesus said this, he said, I didn't come to do away with the law. What did he say? He said, I came to fulfill it. In other words, he's, you know, the law is not bad. We talked about that last week. The law is not bad in itself. Love God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not commit adultery. You know, the list, I mean, those things are good things to live by. Right? I mean, they're not, the, the, the Ten Commandments are not bad commandments. They're, they're still good things to live by. But the, but the thing is, here's the thing. You trying to do it in your own ability, you can't do it. It's impossible. Because here, here's what God said. It's not good enough to keep 99% of the law. You, if you try to live by the law, you have to keep 100% of it. And if you break one part of the law, one little bit of the law, you're guilty of all of it. And you might say, you might say, well, Pastor, I, I'm a good person. I don't, I don't break the law. How many of you drove 56 miles an hour getting here this morning? Well, guess what? Every one of you broke the law. Because the law says 55. Well, now, Pastor, you can't. But listen, it's the law, Right? So see, right there, we're all, we're all in need of help this morning because we all probably broke the law this morning. So, so what I'm saying is this. Thank God for a Savior. Thank God for grace. Thank God for His ability living on the inside of me, helping me do what I can't do in my own ability. So grace, as we saw last week, grace is God's ability living on the inside of us, helping us keep and helping us do uh, what we can't do in our own strength. So, so here's the thing that people say. And here's something, as Paul taught, as Paul taught on grace. Now, I want to back up for a moment, and, and I want you to think about this. Think about when Paul started teaching grace. You know, and, and you guys hear me say this a lot, but, but if you put yourself in the shoes of Paul for a moment, you'll understand that when Paul... Was learned, when he was growing up, he was a Pharisee. He was, he was a, a person of the law. He was trained in the best schools. He, he, was, he was, you know, raised under, or memorizing the law, teaching the law, and he was going to be a teacher. He was going to be a, a high priest, probably. I mean, he, he, you know, he, his aspirations were, were going up the ladder in the religious system. But, and, and what we have to understand is this at that time, the animal sacrifice system was still in order. 
if you committed a crime or if you committed a sin or, or you missed the mark in any way, you would have to take an animal to the high priest to be sacrificed, to have its blood shed to cover your sins. That was still the, and when Jesus walked the earth, when Jesus lived, the sacrificial system, the Old Testament, the old, the old covenant sacrifice system was still, was still going on when Jesus walked the earth. Many of us say, oh, I would have loved to live when Jesus did. Man, that was, that was, I, you know, I thank God I wasn't a priest in those days. Because the priest in those days, what they did most of the time was slicing throats of animals, draining the blood, cutting the meats out of them, you know, and offering for sacrifices. That, I mean, that was the system. That's, that's all they ever knew. Then all of a sudden, Jesus comes. Jesus comes on the scene. He starts talking about this new covenant, this new way to live. Jesus start, started introducing uh, this time and this area in everybody's lives where they were no longer going to have to offer animal sacrifices. It changed everything. It wasn't a little change. I mean, it was going to change everything. So when Paul, when Paul came on the scene and the other disciples, when, when, after Jesus was crucified and when Jesus went to the cross and, and was raised, raised again, resurrected, it started a whole new life for, for all, for everybody. And so when the disciples and when Paul started teaching about grace, there was all kinds of people you know, coming against him saying, saying, this is totally, I've never heard this before. You're crazy. This is, this, this can't be. And, but, because what Paul started teaching was this. You no longer have to offer animals because Jesus came and offered himself. He was the perfect sacrifice. He was the perfect lamb. And now that Jesus has died and rose again, you trust and believe in him and all of your sins are forgiven. It was radical in that day. I mean, really, it was, I mean, it's kind of even hard to think about, um, to think of an example of what something would be like today. I mean, it's just like totally different than anything they had ever known. So, so Paul was teaching this new, this new theology, and, and he had people coming against him constantly. And, and here's the thing about teaching grace and, and teaching things like this, and you still hear it today. People, people in that day, they started hearing this, and people started saying things like this. Well, if that's true, then I can live any way I want to live and it doesn't matter. And here's the reality. If you're teaching grace and you don't have people, people coming up asking that question, you're probably not teaching grace strong enough. Because here's the reason. Because grace almost seems too good to be true. That, that now you have God's ability on the inside of you helping you do what you couldn't do in your own ability. That God, that now all of a sudden it's not just up to you. Now you have God on your side helping you to, to keep and to do what He wants you to do. It's almost too good to be true. The, the word gospel is interesting because the word gospel actually means this. The word gospel means the too good to be true uh, word. Do you realize that outside of the church in the, in the biblical days, the word gospel was, was not found? Gospel was a word that was unique to the Christian belief in the, in the Bible days because it was a word that, that really meant this, that this, this message is too good to be true. Almost too good to be true. 
you know, when you hear it and when you think about it, it's almost like you're just, you kind of shake your head sometimes and say, can that really be? And we find this in Paul's teaching. And if you go to, to uh, Romans chapter 6, let's look here just for a moment. In Romans, in Paul's teaching to the book of, uh, and to the church at Rome, Paul asked this question, and actually, he asked this question three times. There's three different times that, that Paul addresses this question. And, and Paul says this here in Romans chapter 6, verse number 1, and, and this, this question, we've, we've heard this before, and, and probably some of you may have even asked this question. Paul said this in verse, uh, Romans chapter 6, verse 1, Paul says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? When Paul started teaching grace, it caused people to ask the question, then that means I can sin and God doesn't hold it against me, so I can, I can do anything I want to do and it doesn't matter. And Paul said, he, so Paul asked, he, he responded to this question. He says, he says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? In verse 2, he answers it and he says, certainly not. If you skip down to verse 15, he asked this question again. What then? Shall we sin because you are not under the law, but under grace? Certainly not. So this was a question that many people asked. Then if, if grace is so good and so true and is such an incredible thing, then that means I can live any way I want to live and it doesn't matter. But Paul said that's not the case. That is not grace. According, That's not New Covenant grace, New Testament grace. Hold your place here in Romans 6. We're going to come back there. But let's go to Titus for a second. The book of Titus right before Hebrews. Actually, right before Philemon and then Hebrews. But Titus chapter 2, and starting with verse 11, this gives us a great definition about, about what grace is for and what grace enables us and, and helps us to do. <clears throat> Titus chapter 2, verse 11, starting with verse 11. It says this, it says, "...for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men." So this is not something that, that just is, is um, secluded to one group. Paul said here, he said, listen, he said the grace of God is available to everybody. Now we know that we're saved. How are we saved? The Bible says we're saved by grace through faith, right? Grace, if, if you don't have grace, you don't have salvation. You know, you're saved by grace through faith. I mean, it's grace and faith working together. That's how salvation comes. Paul said here to Titus, he said, listen, he said that he said the grace of God has come and made itself available to all men. It brings it's, it's appeared to all men. Look at verse 12. Here's 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 what Paul said. The, the grace does teaching us that uh, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously and godly in this present age. Did you see that? Paul said that grace teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust, that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. So what Paul said was this. He said what grace teaches us is this, is that grace teaches us to avoid sinning and to live holy. 
Let me say that again. Because see, this, this is something people, people, will, will, people will say that grace allows you to do anything you want to do, live any way you want to live. That's just not a true statement. That grace teaches us, what does it teach us? Paul said it teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust and to what? To live soberly, to live righteously. Man, I mean, he, he tells us, and godly in this present age. Notice he didn't say that grace is for the future. He didn't say, well, one day when you're in heaven, you know, grace will help you not sin no more. No, when you get in heaven, you won't need grace. We need grace when? We need grace now. We, we, we read in Hebrews, we, I opened up with that today. In Hebrews, it said that we, we, we can come boldly to the throne of grace. Why? To, to receive help in our time of need. To receive grace in our time of need. So we come to God when we have a temptation, when we have a need, when we, when we need grace, we can come boldly to the throne of grace and receive grace from God to help us overcome anything that we'll ever face. Man, that's, I mean, guys, listen, this is, this is, like I said, this is a but God moment. Because, let me just say this, I was raised in a denominational church. And I was taught, here, here was really my beliefs growing up. My beliefs growing up were basically this. I can't stop sinning. I'm going to sin every day. I'm going to, I'm going to miss the mark every day. There's nothing I can do. I'm, you know, I'm just going to sin and, and, and at the end of the day, I better just, I, I hope that I can just ask for forgiveness before I die so that, so that I'm right with Jesus before, before I meet him face to face. I mean, that was, that was pretty much the way I was raised. You know, that, that you just can't... You know, I heard prayer after prayer, week after week, people saying, you know, Lord, forgive me of the sins that I committed. Forgive me of the sins I, that I didn't even know I committed. And I'm thinking, how did you commit a sin and you didn't even know it? That, ne- that one never made sense to me. You know, when I, when I commit a sin, I know it. When I miss the mark, I know I missed it. Right? But see, people, people say this. People will say, oh, well, but, you know, you're going to miss the mark. You're always going to do it. And you just got to pray for forgiveness every single day. But see, here, that is, that is where I'm, where I was, what I was talking about at the very beginning about being really taught wrong. That is not really a true, that's not the gospel. Now, you say, well, what is the gospel then? Well, here's, here's the, because here's what that teaching tells us. That teaching tells us that we still have, even after we get born again, that we still have a sin nature, and because we have a sin nature, we're just going to sin all the time. But see, the Scripture tells us, if you read the Scripture and you study the Scripture, the Scripture will tell you that when you get born again, your old man died. If your old man died, that means your sin nature died. You no longer have a sin nature. And if you no longer have a sin nature, what does that mean? That means that you can go, you can live, you can go a, you can go a whole day without sinning. You can? Guess what? You can go two days without sinning. You can go a week without missing the mark. Oh, Pastor, I'm not as holy as you are. Listen, it's not about being holy. It's about understanding what Jesus did on the cross for us. 
It's about understanding that I, I don't have a sin nature, and the only, the only way I can sin is when I yield myself to sin. Is when I make the choice to sin. And if I can make a choice to sin, what does that mean? That means I can make a choice not to sin. Now, come on. You know, so, so here, Paul said to Titus, he said, listen, the grace of God teaches us that we can deny ungodliness and worldly lust, and we can, and we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. So he said, today, listen, this, this message is still as true today as it was when Paul wrote it. Today, you can live holy and righteous in 2021 on February 21st. Well, but man, there's so much stuff out there. Paul, Paul wasn't dealing with this stuff we were dealing with. But listen, I'm telling you, I'm telling you what, Jesus, we read the scripture in Hebrews. Hebrews said this, that, that we don't have a high priest that, that is not moved with our infirmities. In other words, what that means is this. Jesus was tempted. I talked about this last week. He was tempted in every area that you and I were tempted in. The only difference is that he never gave in. So when we come to Him with a, with a problem, when we're tempted in an area, when we come to Him and start talking to our high priest, which, which is what Jesus is to us right now in heaven, He is our heavenly high priest. When we come to Him and start talking to Him about something we're going through, He knows exactly what you're facing. Because He faced it and He overcame it. And, and, and when we come to Him, we come to His throne, we come, we come to Him, what happens? We, re, we can receive the same grace that got Him through it. Remember last week, I don't want to re-preach my sermon from last week, but last week we talked about how that Jesus, when we look to Jesus, we see that Jesus was a man that was enabled by grace, God's ability on the inside of Him, helping Him do what a natural man could not do. And what was that? That was to live a perfect life. A sinless life. Jesus lived, when He, when He lived here on the earth, now this, this will get a lot of people, a lot of people upset, and a lot of, a lot of religious people upset, but see, when Jesus walked the earth, He didn't walk the earth as God. Jesus walked the earth as a man. He was 100% man. He was still God, but you know what? The Bible says He laid down His godly attributes and His godly rights, and He lived this life as a man just like you and I. See, because if He did the things He did as God, then you and I could not say, could, we would never be able to say, well, wow, I, you know, I could do that too. But being that He did it as a man, enabled by God through the grace of God, then we can look at that and say, if, if God enabled Jesus to do that, then He can enable me to do that. Man, that's powerful. The reason Jesus could do it was because He had grace upon Him. The reason you and I can do it is because we have grace upon us. We can come boldly to the throne of grace and receive grace to help in our time of need. Now let's turn back to, to Romans chapter 6 again. Because I want to show you, Paul talks about the two times that Paul talked about uh, these questions about, you know, well, well, since grace is such a real thing, we can live any way we want to live and, and grace will cover us. Both times, Paul said undoubtedly, he said certainly not. Now see, here's, here's something that you need to know. And this, this is one of these things where uh, I heard somebody put it like this. 
that casually reading the Bible will cause you to be a casualty. Casually reading the Bible will cause you to be a casualty. What does that mean? That just means if you don't take the time to study the Word, sometimes, sometimes um, you know, it's good to read the Word, but if you don't study the Word, sometimes just reading the Word is not enough. And let me show you an example of that and why I say that. In the book of Romans, the word sin, S-I-N, is the Greek word uh, harmateia. Um, but the word sin appears in some form. It could be sin or sins or sinful or something like that. But it appears in the book of Romans 49 times in the book of Romans where Paul talks about sin. And see, a lot of the times we think automatically that Paul is talking about all of the sin that we commit, all of the things that we do. But when you study it and when you dig a little bit deeper, you find this. 47 times out of the 49 times, Paul uses the word singularly, single, I mean singularly, I guess I'm saying that right, not plural, but singularly, and he uses it, and it's used as a noun. Now you might say, well, Pastor, what in the world does that have to do with anything biblical? Well, here's what that has to do with that. It is not, Paul, only, in two, only two times in Romans does Paul use the word sin describing the actions of you doing something. Like what the, the, the consequences of your sin, of your sinning or your missing the mark. Only two times. The other 47 times, Paul is talking about a noun. He uses it as a noun. What is a noun? A noun is a person, place, or thing, right? So what Paul was talking about was this. 47 out of the 49 times, Paul is talking about your sin nature, not your sin, not the consequences of your sin. And see, that is, if you, if you understand that, that, that totally uh, changes the way you read the Scripture. And I'll show you this very thing. Let's look here in Romans 6. Let's go back to 6. Because, because remember, there's one of the instances that Paul uses the word sin, plural, or meaning the consequent, or you know, your action of sin, something that you do. And it's, it's here in Romans chapter 6. But I want to show you how he uses the word as a noun, talking about, and what that shows us is that it's talking about your sin nature, not you doing something and sinning. So here even in verse 1 it says this, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? That word sin there is, is in the singular form, and he's talking about, he says, shall we continue doing or being this, this, this thing that that, you know, is, is going against what God is saying, shall we continue to, to live in that? And, what, and you, could, you could actually substitute the sin nature. You could add the word nature there, and, and it doesn't change anything because if you study it, you'll understand that he is talking about your sin nature. So, so it could read like this. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in the sin nature that grace may abound? Certainly not. And why? Why did he say that? Because look at verse 2. He gives us the answer. How shall we who are dead to sin, that sin nature, we're dead to that sin nature, how shall we that are dead to the sin nature live any longer in it? 
If your sin nature died, then why are you still living like it's alive? 2 Corinthians tells us that when we get born again, old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Okay? Now let's, let's keep going because if you put this together, you'll see this. Look at verse number 3. He says this, Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? Verse 4, Therefore we, we were buried with Him through the baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so also should walk in newness of life. Verse 5, and I want, to, I want to come back and talk about these three verses. Verse 5 says, For if we have been united together in the likeness of His death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of His resurrection. So, so when you talk about and see, here's, here's another thing about the Bible. You have, to understand, you have to understand the context that He's using. He talks about baptism. He says, you know, in verse 3, He said, Don't you know that we who are baptized... He says, you know, don't you know that as many as are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death. Well, what kind of baptism was he talking about? There's three different baptisms that the Bible talks about in the Word. The first one is the baptism that the, that the Holy Spirit baptizes us into the body of Christ when we accept Him at salvation. The Bible says we're, that's what he's talking about here. That when you ask Jesus to be your Savior, you get baptized into His death and you get resurrected into His life. That's what happens spiritually to us when we're baptized into the body of Christ. The second, the second baptism we see in the Word is water baptism. And that's when a, a pastor or an elder or someone baptizes you in water and it is a, uh, it is a, uh, a, you know, it's an outward act of an inward work. It's symbolic of what happened in the baptism spiritually. You know, you're there, you get in the water, they dunk you under the water. Some of you, they held you a little bit longer. Some of you, they should have held you longer. Then they pull you back up, you know, to try to, to, try to get rid of that sin. They, they pull you back up. And what, what does that represent? What does water baptism represent? It represents the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, what happened to us in the Spirit. So that's water baptism. The third baptism is Jesus baptizing us in the Holy Ghost. What we call uh, being Spirit-filled or being filled with the Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. That's the third baptism that the Bible talks about. But here in verse 3, 4, and 5, Paul is talking about the baptism, what happens to you when you get born again. We're baptized into the body and, and or into the body of Christ. We, so we, we, get, we get connected with His death, but since we're connected with His death, we also get connected with His resurrection which is where grace comes in. Because, because He was resurrected and He's now living, just like you were dead in your sins, now, just like Jesus went to the cross and He, and he paid the price for sin, when he, when he came out of the grave and when He was resurrected, He no longer has to pay for sin again because that price is paid. And see, that is the picture of where you and I are. We, the price for sin has been paid. We, the Lord is not imputing our sin against us any longer. Why? Because His ability has already taken care of that. And we've been raised together in resurrection power and resurrection life with Him today. So that's the reason Paul said, he said, don't you know that you who, who have died to sin, 
don't, why are you still living it? Now, let me ask you this question. Is sin dead today? No. You can go out here and commit adultery this afternoon if you want to. You can go out here and rob a bank if you want to. You can go out here and, and you know, do a number. You, you can go out here and go 56 miles an hour and break the, break the speed limit. And you know what? You just sin. Sin is not dead. Well, what was Paul talking about when he said, don't you know that, that sin died? What's he talking about? He's talking about that sin nature that was living on the inside of you. You, if you are a born again Christian, you do not have a sin nature any longer. Your nature has been changed. You have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of you now. Well, Pastor, why do I sin? Well, let's go on and see what Paul said because he answers that question. He goes on and he says this. Look at verse 6. Knowing this, Paul said there's some things that you have to know. And if you don't know them, it, you know, think, think example for the, uh, um, when uh, the, the slavery, the, the Emancipation Proclamation got issued, you know, and, and slavery, slavery was abolished. Do you realize that there were people that still, there were slave owners that didn't tell their slaves that, that they were free, and they lived for years after that declaration had been signed, and they, they lived as slaves for years. Why? Because they didn't know that they were free. But once they found out, you know what? They could do something about it. If you don't know some things, it can hinder your walk with the Lord. Now here is something Paul said, you have to know this. He, he was talking about this baptism into the body and being resurrected and the power that that brings. And then he makes this statement in verse 6. Knowing this, that our old man, talking about that sin nature, our old man was crucified with him. That the body of sin might be done away with. That that sin nature would be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin. So see, you know, you know, so many, so many times we hear people say, I just can't help it. I've just got, you know, that's just who I am. I've just got to do that. That's wrong. It's a choice that you make. Paul goes on to say that. Let's, I need to hurry here. Look at verse seven. He goes on to say this. For he who has died has been freed from sin. If you have died in Christ, then that means you have been freed from your sin nature. Now, he keeps going. Now, remember, every time that he uses this word sin, all of these are singular, which tells us that he's not talking about when we do something. He's not talking about a verb. He's talking about a noun. He's talking about the sin nature. He goes on to say verse number 8. He says, now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we also shall live with him. Knowing that Christ, having raised from the dead, dies no more, death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. He died to that sin nature once and for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, now listen, likewise you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to that sin nature. What is that word reckon? That word reckon is an accounting term. It's like when you balance your checkbook. That's what the word reckon means. It means to, to have reconciliation. 
you know, you take all your outstanding, you take your balance and, and you see the checks and the debits that have cleared. And then you see the things, the times you, you've written the checks and, and you've used your credit card or, or your card that hasn't cleared yet. And you add all that and subtract all that together and you reconcile so you know exactly where you are, where you stand. Paul said the same thing here. He says, since Jesus paid the price for the sin nature once and for all, he says, reckon yourselves to that. Balance yourself. Get in your mind. Renew your mind to the fact that you no longer have a sin nature. It's tough chewing, isn't it? Likewise, reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, what, Pastor, what does all that mean? What good is that? Look at, I'm glad you asked that question. Look at verse 12. Verse 12 says this, Therefore, now remember, anytime that word therefore is there, you've got to know what it's there for. It's there because of everything he just said. Because now that you reckoned yourself to be, that your sin nature is no longer alive, it's dead, you're alive to God, you're dead to sin. He says, therefore, because of that, now listen, man, this is, this is so freeing if you get this. He says, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lusts. Now, just, just a simple thing. Let me ask you this question. If he says, do not allow it, what's he telling us? That you have the ability not to allow it. And also, that means if you cannot allow it, it also means that you can allow it. It means that you can give back into sin even though you no longer have a sin nature. Because really, you think about it like this. Sin is only a fruit. Right? The, the sin, the action, is only a fruit. It's not the root. You could go to an apple tree or a peach tree or, or any kind of tree that has fruit. You could pick all the fruit off of it and think, well, boy, I showed that tree that time. You know, I, I picked all its fruit. But then guess what? You give it a couple weeks and more fruit's growing. Why? Because you picked the fruit, you didn't deal with the root. When you deal with the root, you cut the root off, then that tree will no longer produce fruit. So he goes on to say this, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies, that you should obey the lust thereof. Now listen, here's, here's the key, verse 13. Do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. But present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Sin shall not have dominion over you. Why? Because, the, because we're no longer trying to keep the law, but now we have the ability of God living on the inside of us, enabling us to do something we couldn't do in our own ability. What's that? Not sin. Grace will help you, will help you live holy. Now come on, I know I'm reading a lot of Scripture, but you've got to get this. You've got you to see this. Listen, let me, let me put it this way before I read the rest of the Scripture. Living holy is a fruit of salvation, is not the root of salvation. In other words, religious people will tell you this. Religious people will tell you, they'll say this, 
They'll say, well, if you live holy enough, if you live good enough, God will answer your prayers. God will heal you. God will deliver you. God will do this. God will do that. If you live good enough. But that's wrong. God's, the blessings of God has nothing to do with your performance. See, guys, that, that, I mean, how many people, I can't tell you the people that have come to me, and I've heard people say this, they'll say things like, well, will you pray for Aunt Betty because, or Aunt Sally, I, I didn't mean to use the name, I mean, somebody that we know, Aunt Sally, pray for Aunt Sally. She's the, she's the most holy woman I know. If anybody deserves to get healed, it's Aunt Sally because Aunt Sally goes to church every week. Aunt Sally reads her Bible every day. Aunt Sally prays for everybody. Aunt Sally is the best person I know. And the, the question I always want to ask back is this, what's that got to do with anything? When was the last time performance had to do anything with receiving from God? It doesn't. Now, it's good to read your Bible. It's good to pray. It's good to be a good person. All that's wonderful stuff. But just because you read your Bible and pray and, and do all that stuff does not mean you're twisting God's arm to where God has to do something for you. We receive all those things. We receive the blessings of God. We receive healing, salvation. We receive prosperity. Everything we receive from God is all because of grace through faith, not because of what we do or what we don't do. Why? Because we're no longer under the law in that performance system. Now we're under grace, which is just God's ability living on the inside of me. Listen, true, true faith is this. Uh, true faith means, uh, true Bible faith, it, it is based in what God has already done for us, not what we do for Him. That's how we receive from God. We, we, you know, if you have the wrong motives, you're going to get the wrong results. If you're, trying, if you're reading your Bible so God will do something for you, you might as well not read your Bible. Because it's the wrong motive. And see, God is all about your heart. God knows your heart. He knows your motives. And if, and if you just come to Him with a pure heart, I, I mean, see, this is a dangerous statement to make in church, but, but here's the reality. If you never come to church again, God will love you as much as He loves you today. If you never pick your Bible up again, you never pray again, it's not going to change God's view of you. Pastor, how can you say that? Because you know what? You're, you come into church, you reading your Bible, you praying has nothing to do with how much God loves you. God loves you because He loves you. He doesn't love you because you read three chapters a day and you read your Bible through in a year and you've got a program and a plan and, and you pray 30 minutes a day and you, you know, and you do this and you do that. That's the reason. When you get to heaven, you'll have your checklist to say, God, here's what I did. I read my Bible every day. I went to church every Sunday. I did this, I did this, I did this. Let me into heaven. That's not what's going to get you into heaven. What will get you into heaven is believing what God has already done for you. Receiving Him as your Savior. Now, let, let me finish this Scripture here. So then verse 15, now I told you that there was two times in Romans where sin was plural and it was the actions. Verse 15 is one of those times. The word for sin here in verse 15 is different than every other time that we read sin in chapter 6. 
Verse 15 says this, What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? Certainly not. In other words, Paul said this. He, sh- he said, shall we go ahead and go do all these things? You know, shall we commit adultery? Shall we rob the bank? Shall we go out here and speed down the road? Can- should we go out here and do all these things because we're-, we're not under the law anymore? We're under grace? Paul says, certainly not. That is the only time, that's only one of two times that that word sin in the entire book of Romans is, is translated as plural, meaning an action. Every other time is singular, and it's a noun showing that it's talking about your sin nature. Now, let's go on and read, because he used that in verse 15. Shall we sin? Shall we miss the mark? Shall we go out and do these actions because we're not under the law but under grace? Certainly not. And look what he said. Do you not know that to whom you present yourself slaves to obey... You are that one slave whom you obey, whether it is of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. You see, here's the thing you have to understand. Sin itself was not abolished. When you got born again, sin was still present. Your sin nature was not. you, You were changed. Your sin nature died when you accepted Jesus as your Savior. That doesn't mean that you can never sin again. What that means is this, is that now you have a choice. Now you can choose righteousness or you can choose to sin. And Paul said, he said, you have to know this. You have to be careful in this choice because here's what happens. Whichever one you choose, whether you choose to sin or whether you choose to be righteous, whichever one you choose, you become that one slave. If you choose to sin, then you're going to get the consequences of sin. Which is what? Death. The wages of sin is death. If you choose to walk in sin, if you choose to do things against God's Word, if you choose to do that, then you choose the consequences of death. If you choose righteousness, if you choose to live holy, if you choose to do the right things because because that's what God says to do, then you choose to receive the blessings of God. Paul said you have to know this. You have to know that whom you present yourselves to obey, that's whose slaves you are. Verse 17, he goes on to say this. Come on, this is so good. Verse 17 says, But God be thanked, that though you were slaves of sin, you, you were slaves of that old sin nature, yet now you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And you have been set free from that sin nature. You became now slaves of righteousness. You're not slaves of sin, you're slaves of righteousness. And then Paul just said this, he said, I speak in human terms, because of the weakness of your flesh. In other words, he said, I'm, I'm trying to explain this to where you can understand it. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your bodies as slaves of righteousness for holiness. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit do you have then in those things which you, which you are now ashamed of? For the end of these things is death. But now listen to the last couple of verses. But now, living, but, but now having been set free from that sin nature and having become slaves of God, you have fruit to holiness 
and the end of and the end is everlasting life. For the wages of of that sin nature is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Here's the point I tried to get, and I know I read a lot of scripture today, but here's the point I tried to get across to you: is that when we see clearly, when we see clearly that you and I no longer have a sin nature. But our nature is, is a God nature now. It's not sin conscious, we're righteous conscious. Righteousness conscious. When we understand that, then, we, then, then what we understand is this, that you and I have the ability to choose to be righteous, to do the righteous thing, instead of choosing to do the wrong thing. Powerful. And see, so now the next time, the next time a situation presents itself, the next time it comes up and, and you're tempted to sin, you're tempted to give in to those things, you can stand up and say, wait a minute, I have a choice. I can choose, I can choose to go with God because I have His ability living on the inside of me. I no longer have to be ruled and, 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 and be, and be a slave to that sin. Now listen. It would work for alcohol, it'll work for drugs, it'll work for pornography, it'll work for you fill in the blank. Whatever it is that, whatever it is that you're facing today, you can, you can have the assurance to know this, that I have the ability to overcome that because I'm not a slave to that anymore. I am hooked with God. His ability is on the inside of me. Therefore, I do not have to give in to those sins any longer. They do not control me. I'm in God's control. And if you understand that, it'll be the biggest but God moment in your life. Because now all of a sudden you'll realize that that sin doesn't have the power you think it does. That sin does not, is not all powerful to where you have no control. You, you know, that you, people, people make you think that you have no choice but to sin. That's wrong. Your sin nature died when you accepted Jesus as your Savior. And when you did that, then listen, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, everything changed. Now you have the ability, you have God's ability living on the inside of you to live a holy life. And really, to be honest with you, is not living a holy life is not because of how you live. It's because you choose to do what God would have you do. Does that make sense? It's not holiness is not just a checklist. Holiness, living holy before God and living a righteous life just simply means that you choose Him over the wrong things. And you have the ability to do that. And when you understand that, it will set you free. Going back to Hebrews 4, we have a high priest that understands our infirmity. And because of that, we can come boldly to Him and we can find help in our time of need. We can find grace. What is grace? Grace is God's ability. We can have God's ability working on the inside of us when we need it the most. Hallelujah. That's good news. Now listen, if you're here today and you say, Pastor, I've, I've missed the mark. I've, I've done all this stuff wrong and I've, I've done this and done that and I don't know whether God still loves me or, or something like that. Listen, I can tell you this. You, you haven't gone too far. There's no, there's no one in this place that has crossed the line to say, you know what, uh, God will never have anything to do with me anymore. 
God is here with open arms saying this, saying, son, daughter, come home. Start making that right choice today. Start doing the right thing today. Not, not doing the right thing just so you can be approved, but doing the right thing because you, now you understand that you have a choice. See, I, when I, like I told you, I grew up and I, and I, I felt like I had no choice but to, to live a life of sin. Went to church every Sunday, but I was told that I'm just an old sinner. And you know what that, you know, I mean, just being honest with you, you know what that did to me? That made me feel this. That made me feel like this. Well, if I'm just an old sinner and I have no choice, I might as well enjoy it. I might as well go ahead and do it. Because I have no choice but to do it. Now, isn't that something? The very thing that, that they were teaching me to, to try to help me was actually pulling me further into something. Because, because I had this thought that, that if I have to do it, well, I might as well just go ahead and be good at doing it. You know, you've heard people say, you know, I was a good sinner. You know, I thank God that I, I you know, I never got hooked on drugs or alcohol or anything like that. But, but you know what? I still miss the mark plenty of times. And man, I tell you, I mean, I struggled. I, because, why, did, why did I struggle? Because I never knew, I never knew that I, that I could live without having that sin nature pulling me down. I always thought that that sin nature would always be with me and that I just had to sin because that's just the way I was. Nobody ever told me, nobody ever told me that when I got born again, that sin nature died. Well, the good news is somebody told you that today. Amen? And you don't have to live under that bondage any longer. All you have to do is choose Jesus. Amen? The grace of God, the ability of God living on the inside of you will help you, will help you overcome any sin, any problem that you'll ever face. Hallelujah. Let me, let me pray for you. Let's bow our heads just for a moment. Hallelujah. If you're here today, listen. The first, the first thing that we have to do, the first thing we have to do is this. We have to have a relationship with Jesus. If you've never made Him your Lord, if you've never asked Him to be your Savior, if, you've never, if, you, if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, then today is the perfect day for, for you to receive Him. Because here's what will happen. At the moment you receive Him as your Savior, your sin nature will pass away. And everything on the inside of you will become new. Now, does that mean you'll never have any problems or, or everything will be a bed of roses? No, that doesn't mean that. But it does mean now that you'll have the ability of God working on the inside of you to help you overcome those things. So the first step is to have a relationship with Jesus. With every head bowed and every eye closed, nobody looking around, is there anyone here today who would say, Pastor, I'm not, I've, never, I've never had a relationship with Jesus. I don't, I don't know Him as my Savior, but I would really like to know more. I'd really like to, to have somebody pray with me about that. Anybody at all? I'll give you just a second. Anybody at all? Listen, it's probably the most important question you'll ever get asked because one day you'll stand before Jesus. I mean, I'm not trying to scare you, you know, or anything like that, but, but one day you'll give an account of whether you received Him or whether you rejected Him. And I promise you, the be, it'd be better to receive Him now than, than to, to have to say you rejected Him. The second invitation is this. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, I'm born again, I've, I've accepted Jesus as my Savior, but you know what? I've not been living right. I've not been. I've not. I've lived. I've turned away from God. And today, I just want to come home. I just want to, you know, just uh, get back in right relationship with Jesus. And I just want you to pray for me. Anybody? Anybody at all with that invitation? 
Because listen, it's nothing to be ashamed of. Listen, we've all we've all been been there where we've missed it and and had to come back home. I mean, thank God, thank God that He's there with open arms, willing to take us back home. Amen. My third invitation is simply this: Let's all just stand to our feet just for a moment. If you need prayer of any type, if you'd like prayer for healing or or you just have a, a need um, that you would like prayer station, I would love to be able to pray with you, and we would love to do that. So before we go, does anybody uh, anybody at all have a need? that you would like prayer for. If you, if you do, you can just come forward and Stacy and I would love to pray with you and, uh, and encourage you, anybody at all. <clears throat> and as these come, just stay in an attitude of prayer with us just for a moment and uh, pray with us and, and believe with us for these that, are, that we'll pray for and, uh, and then we'll, we'll dismiss in just a moment.